the theme that we're going to highlight today is the law of God, the ways of God, and the reality that we can forget them. The, the, the human reality that it is possible for us to stray away from those things. That's going to be our theme today is, is law. And when we think law, we think the ways of God, the ways of Jesus. But what we're really going to be wrestling with is the reality that it is in fact possible for us to forget. It, it is in fact possible for, for years to go by, in, in the case of the, the scriptures we're reading today, for generations to go by, for millenniums to go by, and for us to forget the laws and the ways of God. And that's going to be the theme that we focus on today when we read that very complicated and mysterious story. Um, so we'll, we will see that in the prayers that we pray. We'll see that in the scriptures we read. And, uh, and that's what we'll be, we'll be devoting some of, our, some of our energy to. So uh, to begin, uh, let's go ahead and pray together. There will be words of a prayer on the screen behind me. I'll lead us in uh, the first sentence, and then we'll read out loud together uh, those words that are in yellow. And then I'll be reading from uh, Psalm 19. So uh, together in the same place, yes, amen, let's begin our weeks uh, gathered together in prayer and, and the reading and meditation of Scripture. So, so let's pray together. Holy One, creator of the stars and seas, your steadfast love is shown to every living thing. Your word calls forth countless worlds and souls. Your law revives and refreshes. Forgive our misuse of your gifts that we may be transformed by your wisdom to manifest for others the mercy of our crucified and risen Lord. Amen. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. Now, although they have no speech and although they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. I really like that. The sun doesn't miss a thing. So here we start talking about the law. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is refreshing the soul. The statutes or the ways of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple. The precepts, the ways, the laws of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. 
And I want to pause there really quickly. How often do we talk about law and ways and rules and use words like refreshing, simple, joy, and giving light, right? But, but that's kind of what we're leaning into here. Fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees, the laws, the ways of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold. They're more pure than gold. They're sweeter than honey. By them your servant is warmed, and keeping them uh, there is a great reward. But who can discern their own errors? So forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And these are some, these are some, this is a common prayer. What a lovely prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and redeemer. So let's, let's kind of lean into this image of, yes, laws and precepts and rules and commands, but what would it look like for us to view them as refreshing? What would it look like for us to view them as, no, these are actually light-giving things rather than things to perhaps bring us down or, or hinder us? So in that spirit, Tom's going to lead us in a few songs. Um, Reachway Kids, you and Miss Cassie are going to make your way, um, make your way out to your time together. Have a blast. Um, and if I could pray for us as, as all of this happens here. So, Lord, thank you for a chance uh, once again for us to be together. We thank you that our families are together. We thank you... Um, that there is a physical place, a space for us to gather together. And we ask that as we engage with these songs, as we continue to read of the scriptures, as we pray, we would ask that you would just draw near. We would ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would be able to see you, um, just see you in fresh ways this morning. As we talk about your law, as we talk about decrees, as we talk about these themes that we would rather not talk about, would you be gracious towards us that we would see something that you'd want us to see today? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's engage with this music. Reachway kids, have a blast. We'll see you uh, for communion. We're going to read a passage and then have a time of prayer. Um, Exodus chapter 20. This is, this is ground floor. This is Ten Commandments. <laughs> this, is, this is it as far as the, the origins of the laws and the ways of God are concerned. A um, little bit lengthy, but I am going to read verses 1 through 17 of Exodus 20. Just a just a quick little note about the Ten Commandments before we read them. They're accounted for two different times in the Old Testament, um, in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And, and when we view the Ten Commandments, it would be appropriate to view them as 
God saying, okay, now that you're free from Egypt, right? Now that you are on your own, now that, you, now that you're my people, not under the captivity of Pharaoh, do this. <laughs> Go about your life like this. The reason that's so important is because for 400 years, for generation after generation after generation, life was oriented by Pharaoh. Life was oriented by oppressive rule, right? And so the Ten Commandments is, is you haven't been around long enough to know what life looks like not under the rule of someone else. So here are some things I want you to keep in mind. And God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. So as a result, you should have no other gods before me. In addition, you should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth below or in the waters below. You shouldn't bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commandments." You shouldn't misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold any guiltless who misuse his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you should labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, your male or female servants, or even your animals, even any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that was in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or even his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And we'll go ahead and, and stop there. We're going to have a time of prayer uh, that we call prayers of the people. Um, something that we started a few weeks ago, uh, when we started gathering at the beginning of February, if, if you can see from your seat, there's a piece of paper down here on this side of the altar with a pen. And uh, we're, we're going to have that piece of paper there every morning as you arrive and as you get settled in. If you have any prayer requests that are on your, your hearts or minds or something that you're thankful for that you want voiced in front of the church, um, that piece of paper is there for you to mark down some notes. Uh, things you'd like to uh, be voiced to be that, that you're thankful about or things that you'd like lifted up in prayer. There's no need to write your name next to it, um, but there's a portion that we've added to our prayers of the people time where I read a short prayer, we have a couple moments of silence for you to pray, and then I list off these short phrases, these short prayer requests, um, and then together after each of those phrases we say, Lord, hear our prayer. And so if there's ever something that's specific on your heart and mind that you would like voiced during that Lord hear our prayer time, 
then you would be more than welcome to write that on that piece of paper. And then as I lead this prayer time, I'll grab that piece of paper and work off of that. So just a little explanation of that and uh, the moment that we're going to engage in. So in light of the songs that we've sung, in light of the scriptures we've read, um, let's, let's have a moment of prayer uh, together. Faithful God of love, you blessed us with your servant son so that we might know how to serve your people with justice and mercy. And so we gather the needs of ourselves and others, offer them to you in faith and love, seeking to be strengthened to meet them. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that during this pandemic, you would be with those who work in healthcare and you would be with those who work in education and, and other fields that are being stretched during this time. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with those who are on the front lines of justice initiatives in our city, in our country, and all over the world. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with our neighbors who are unhoused and do not have homes of their own. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with those who are serving the unhoused, those who are trying to house them, those who are trying to find them shelter for their own. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would continue to dwell and be present in the places where we live, the places we work, and the places we recreate. Lord, hear our prayer. And Lord, shape us and transform us by your grace that we may grow in wisdom and we may grow in confidence never faltering until we have done all that you desire to bring your realm of shalom, of peace, to fulfillment. Amen. And amen. Thank you for, uh, thank you for praying. If you want to follow along this morning, uh, we'll be in John chapter 2, Gospel of John chapter 2, which is the uh, fourth gospel account that we have in our New Testament, fourth book of the New Testament as well. Um, the, in, in, the, in the John account, the, the account of Jesus cleansing the temple c- comes a little bit early. We're, we're normally used to this account being told kind of in the later chapters of gospel accounts, um, but it, it comes to us quite early, and so that's where we meet it here, uh, a, a somewhat familiar story in an unfamiliar place in, in a gospel. So this will be John chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Starting at verse 13. This is what it says. 
when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here and stop turning my father's house into a market or into a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me, which is a a reference of Psalm 69. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he spoke of was his body and not the physical building they were in. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Karsten, you silly willy. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, could you imagine being in the synagogue back in the day? Kids were running wild. You you think that shoe is squeaky now. Wait until there's a thousand squeaky shoes in the synagogue, and they're all squeak, 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 squeak. No, I love it. We love it. So that's our story. That's our story this morning. And, and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page with, with one thing uh, before we really kind of get into some things to learn. It's crucial that we observe Jesus in this scene as an insider. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, we've We've got a lot of action-packed stuff, right? There's, there's cattle being driven out. There's tables being flipped over. There's surely uh, people yelling at Jesus. You know, you know, when they ask what gives you the right, they're not going, um, excuse me, sir, uh, what, what gives you the right to do this? No, they're yelling at him. What gives you the right to do this? And there's animals flying around, and there's, you know, all this stuff. We got to sort through all of that, and we need to realize that that Jesus is an insider to the situation and to the people he's dealing with rather than an outsider. And what I mean by that is that Jesus was Jewish. And Jesus was raised in a Jewish context. And we read in uh, the other Gospels that Jesus was in and out of the temple at a very young age. So Jesus is not a, this was not the first time Jesus had been in a temple right? Um, Because Jesus was raised in a Jewish context. And here we find Jesus, who was Jewish, who was raised in a Jewish context. We find him in a Jewish temple as Jewish Passover approaches. And this understanding matters because the alternative would be to view Jesus as someone who is coming in from outside the situation here to uh, fix the Jewish people. 
And if we follow that train of thought a little bit more, and it's really easy to do this, we can very easily view this story as thinking that Jews were wrong, you know, or bad, and that Jesus slash Christians were right and here to fix things. And that's anti-Semitic, <laughs> okay? And that's bad. And so it's really, really important that we understand that the response that Jesus is giving is as someone who is as close to the culture as anyone could have been, operating as an insider. This is not a critique of someone from the outside of this people group. This is a critique, this is a response that's taking place from someone within the context. Okay, so as an insider, what is Jesus then reacting to? Well, he's reacting to the fact that the people, his people, have forgotten the laws, have forgotten the precepts, and have forgotten the ways of God, and they turned his father's house into a marketplace. It, it happened. It, we, we see it right here. It's a type of marketplace that reinforced what we could call religious transactionalism. How's that for a word this morning? And if I didn't have spell check, it wouldn't have been spelled right. And I still don't know if it's spelled right. Religious transactionalism. That now that there are animals being sold inside the temple, it doesn't require a family to haul their animal to sacrifice at the temple for Passover on a multi-day journey from wherever they live to Jerusalem. Now they can just buy it at the temple as they walk up the steps. A convenience fee is sure to be included, which would be a grave, a, a egregious act of injustice, would be to sell a, 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 a pigeon that is worth 10 cents for $50, right? I mean, this, this was in fact happening, but we're selling it here, a little bit convenient. You walk a few steps to sacrifice it, and then you're on your way. Jesus, who knows the Ten Commandments, and Jesus, who knows that these people know the Ten Commandments, puts an end to the practice in a, quite a serious and bold way. We have the image of a whip. We have the image of tables being overturned. It's, it's quite a serious statement that Jesus is making as an insider. And so I have some hypothetical questions to ask. What do we do as humans? So, you know, let's put ourselves in the shoes of, of the people selling animals. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the people exchanging money. What do we do when someone impedes on our progress just as people? What do we do when someone says that what we are used to doing is the wrong way to do it? What do we do um, when, when something that we, you know, when, when our preferences of operation, when our modes of operation are disrupted and condemned by some people, 
What do we do? Well, uh, we, what, do we, what, what do we do? We say, what gives you the right? <laughs> Isn't that what we say? We, we say, why do I have to listen to you? Prove yourself to me that I should listen to you, and in that situation, not myself. Why should I ignore my disposition and go with yours? A lot of times, with our words and our actions, we echo what's being said in verse 18. The Jews responded to Jesus, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to all this? Prove it, right? So let's use our imaginations for a moment. Let's engage with empathy. Let's now put ourselves in the shoes of those people, but instead of talking about how we react, let's talk about another way of reacting, and let's be empathetic to the people who just had their whole way of life flipped upside down. So here we are, and Jesus has revealed our mess. Okay? Season of Lent. Yay! We're on a journey. Jesus has revealed our mess. Our patterns have been exposed as unhelpful, unjust, and wrong. Our tools and our devices that we used to maintain those unjust patterns have been driven out and they've been overturned. Now, we don't feel like we have anything to give. We don't have anything to do. We don't have anything to offer. There we are. It's just us, and we're a little ticked off, (laughs) and we're wondering what just happened, and we have nothing to fall back on, and we are standing in a shell of what used to be. And there's Jesus. And then Jesus speaks. And Jesus says, out of all the things that Jesus could say, come to me. Follow me. Focus on me. Just try to copy me now. Do you have a sacrifice to bring? Bring it to me now. Do you think that what you have to offer is insufficient? Find hope in what I've already given, is what Jesus says. Are you ashamed of what you've been doing? I'm here to forgive you. Are you unsure of what to do now or think now, now that your mess has been revealed? Jesus says, follow me. I will show you the best way to live. We miss the point of Lent if we make it all about how bad we are 
and miss how good Jesus is. You want to know what Jesus didn't do after he flipped over the tables? He didn't leave. (laughs) He didn't say, this is wrong, figure it out on your own. He said, I'm the temple. I'm the one you're supposed to worship. I'm the one you're supposed to bring things to. It's in my presence that you're supposed to gather in. We miss the point of Lent if if all we do is focus on how bad we are and miss how good Jesus is. We miss the point of Easter if we feel like that there's nothing that we need to be redeemed from. And we miss the point of Easter if we don't feel like there's anything that we need to be forgiven of. We miss the point of Easter if we don't feel like we, in some way, need to be resurrected. So we're, we're going to miss out on Lent if all we focus on is how rotten we are and miss how good Jesus is. That, that passage of Jesus cleansing the temple should be seen as this is a good God among us, considering the alternative. I know, I know you look at that and you look at the anger, the yelling and the flipping and the whipping, and you're like, this is, how could this get any worse? Oh, it could get a lot worse. And then we miss Easter if, if we don't feel like that there's anything for us, to, for us to put aside, be redeemed from, be forgiven of. So, I want to say this morning that we need to be okay with Jesus revealing our mess. The temple needed to be cleansed. That was something that Jesus felt needed to happen as an insider. So, yeah, we need to be okay with Jesus revealing our mess, but then we have to consider following Jesus not only the next step to take, but the only steps worth taking. Because the good news is that Jesus is not one to reveal and then leave us alone. Jesus is not one to say, you better get your act together. And just to make it more interesting, I'm not going to give you any tips on how to get your act together. This is not Jesus, right? Jesus is not saying, go to your room and you come back out here when you figured out what you're going to do next. This is not Jesus. Jesus says, hey, there's a couple of things that we need to fix. And so I'm going to to be as close to you as you'll let me and and we'll work through those things together. That's really good news. Last week we talked about how... um, to be known as a Jesus follower, we need to be close to Jesus, right? I mean, to, to, to be, and it's kind of a, well, yeah, duh. Um, the, the image that, that, that I presented from an author 
named Craig Hovey last week. Um, the, the image that I presented, he said, uh, okay, so if you're a Jesus follower, and let's say you're following Jesus, good. If at any point along your life's journey, Jesus were to look over his shoulder, would he be able to see you? That, that's kind of the image we presented last week. So our following of Jesus goes hand in hand with our proximity to Jesus. So Jesus reveals our mess. There we are in the temple. My way of life has just been exposed. And Jesus is there and saying that he's the temple. And, you know, at, at some point, Jesus is going to physically leave to go about his life. Would I follow Jesus out of that temple? Because because that's the decision that we're confronted with, is, is, yeah, it's one thing to let Jesus reveal our mess, but then do we want to, st- and, and we have, you know, I'm having a hard time articulating, but I mean, how often do we want to be even closer to the person who tells us we're wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, just as human people, when, we, when our mess is exposed by someone, how often do we then want to just hang out with that person forever? <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong again, right? I mean, but that, that's kind of what it's like. Like, keep telling me I'm wrong. However, it's this interesting dynamic where, where Jesus is, is the revealer, but Jesus is then also there to heal. It's, it's within the same person. It's within the same relationship. There's not one God that, that reveals, and there's not another God that judges, and there's not another God that condemns, and then there's not another God that forgives. It's the same God. It's the same person. And so when we go about our lives engaging with the Scriptures, when we go about our lives engaging in Christian community, when we go about our lives listening to certain songs and, and hearing certain devotionals on wherever we kind of engage with scriptures and the things of faith, and you have that moment where you go, oh man, I have been missing this. That is the Holy Spirit. That is God kind of graciously bringing that to the surface. But then it's the same God that wants to stick with you to work that out. 